The sermon text for this passage is in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, and on the Pew Bible, that's pages 978. Look carefully, then, how you will walk, not so unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in our reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, how we look forward to that day when Jesus will come again And he will shine with the glory of God like the lightning from one side of the sky to the other. And those who are dead in Christ will rise up. And those who are still living will go up into the air and meet him together. And forever and ever and ever we will sing the praise of Jesus Christ and of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. We will gather with people from every tongue and tribe and nation and sing the song of the Lamb. Lord, those aren't just words. That's reality, and it's coming. One day we will see You face to face, and by Your incredible grace, we will be made to be like You, for we will see You as You are. Oh Lord, not everybody will be happy to see You. Some will be crushed at the sight of You. But by Your amazing, unspeakable grace, instead of being crushed as we ought to be by Your presence, we will be transformed and made fit to behold your beauty and your glory and your wisdom and your strength and your might forever and ever and ever. And we will love it. And forever we will increase in the desire to know you and to be near to you. Oh, Father, what a hope you have laid out before us to see you face to face and live. Oh, Father, cause this hope to live in us, I pray. So often on this earth we confess and I confess We are like your disciples in the garden who are there with you, indeed. But we fall asleep, Lord. There are eternally significant things happening around us even right this moment. Right this moment, heaven and hell are happening around us. Eternity is all around us and things are urgent and significant and there we are sleeping, pursuing other things, not paying attention to the things of God, distracted by 10,000 other things. And we confess that as sin, Jesus. And we confess, as You Yourself said, that our spirits are willing, Lord. We want to see You. We want to follow You. We want to be consumed with You. But our flesh is so weak. So I pray that You would come and help us now. And I pray that one way You would help us, Lord, is by outfitting us by Your Word. And this Word is particularly fit to outfit us to be awake to the things of God. So I pray that You would help us now, Lord. I can speak the words, but only You can access our hearts. And so I pray that You would do that. Make me a faithful preacher and make us all faithful hearers, I pray today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in Your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Last week we talked a little bit about the commands in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-12. through 12. Namely, that we who are in Christ ought to walk in the darkness and that we ought not, we ought to walk in the light, 
and that we ought not to walk in the darkness, but rather to expose it before the light of Christ. And we said that the, the ground or the context for these commands is the fact that we are light in the Lord. We were saved, whether you have ever processed it like this or not, we were saved by exposure to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. We are being sanctified, being transformed, being made holy by continued exposure to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then as I said in my prayer and spoke a little bit about last week, one day, by the grace of God, we will see Jesus Christ and we will be made to be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. That's 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. This is our destiny in Christ. This is our hope. And this is what it means to say that we are light in the Lord. And in the light of this truth, and the light of this destiny, come the commands to live like who we are in Christ, to walk in light, and to forsake the darkness. This week, I want to begin a series of sermons that will probably stretch all the way to the end of summer. And the banner that I would put over those sermons is simply walking as children of light. And the reason for this is what I see Paul doing in verses 15 through 21, which were just read for us. I see him giving four specific bits of wisdom that fill up what it means to say, walk as children of light. It's another thing that the Bible does that I love. It gives us commands... But it doesn't expect us to just do them. It tells us why. That's one thing. And then another thing that the Bible almost always does is tells us how as well. And so verses 15 through 21 are really the how of what it means to walk as children of light. If you look there in verse 15, I see Paul giving us four bits of wisdom. Number one, in verse 15, we ought to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Number two, verse 16, we ought to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Number three in verse 17, we ought not be foolish, but rather we ought to seek to understand what the will of the Lord is. And then finally in verse 18, we ought not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21, Paul goes on to give four evidences that we are in fact filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will speak to one another in the language of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Number two, which is closely related to it, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will sing and make melody to the Lord in your heart. Or as the ESV translates it, with all your heart. And then see the reason why we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is because our hearts are filled with the praise of God. And eventually it bleeds up and out. Number three, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me that to actually legitimately give thanks for everything, you must have the hope of the Holy Spirit and the help of the Holy Spirit because that is not our normal inkling or our normal leaning. Finally, number four, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, our minds will be heavenward, our hearts will be filled with praise, our mouths will be filled with thanksgiving, and there will be a submissiveness about us, first to God, but that expresses itself in submissiveness to one another. Now the banner I would put over all of that is the word worship. I think Paul, in verses 18 to 21, is essentially describing to us what a life of worship looks like. 
which is another way of saying, here's what it looks like to walk in the light. And so in the coming weeks, that's what I hope to preach on, and uh, particularly verses 18 to 21 are going to take me weeks and, and, in fact, months to lay out. So when you think about late spring and summer at Glory of Christ this year, think worship. And when you think worship, think walking as children of God or walking as children of light. In fact, I'd like to encourage you over the next couple months, if you could search out and find good books to read on this topic. Brett Springfield had a good one that he was reading the other day. You might want to ask him about that. There are a lot of good books on worship out there. And I just encourage you to read some books along with me this this summer and just delight in growing in what it means to be a person of worship and what it means to be a church of worship. And even more so, I invite you to search the Scripture with me about these things. And as you do, I think one thing that will probably surprise you is how broad the word worship is in the Bible. We tend to to think of the word worship in terms of just the song service on a Sunday morning or what have you. But the word worship in the Bible is a very vast word. And I really look forward this summer to growing with you in our understanding of what worship is and in our actual practice of worship this summer. So please join me in this quest. And as for today, I want to look at verses 15 to 16. And then if the Lord is willing, we'll look at verse 17 next week. Will you please look there with me? At verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So how do we walk in the light of the Lord? It's easy to talk about these things when we're at church. It's easy to talk about these things among Christians, but I'm asking a real practical question here. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you stay at home to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, how do you walk in His light? And Paul gives, as I said, four answers. Here's his first one, verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And I think what Paul is meaning to teach us here is that Christians must live thoughtful lives. I don't mean by that that every Christian has to be well-versed in theology or biblical languages or church history or things like that. But I do mean that every single Christian has to learn to live a life where they consistently give thought to their ways, where they consider their ways before the Lord. In fact, I would say that in order to be a Christian, you must be a person who gives thought to your ways. Proverbs 4.26 says this, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Give thought to, meditate on, ponder your ways. Ponder the paths of your feet, and then, and only then, your ways will be sure. If we want to walk as children of light, if we want our ways to be sure, then we simply must ponder the paths of our feet. It is impossible, in my estimation, to advance with Christ if we do not also advance in our ability and commitment to considering our ways and considering the ways of the Lord and choosing His ways over our ways. We simply must be a thoughtful people if we're to walk in the light of the Lord and to advance in Christ. There's no other way. Now Paul says, when we do this, we ought to do this how? He said, not as unwise, but as wise. And when I hear that piece of wisdom, the question that comes to my mind is, well then Paul, what is it that marks the unwise? What is it that you're trying to get us to avoid? And I think there's probably a ton of answers to that question, but I have three to offer you here this morning. First of all, generally speaking, the unwise don't give thought to their lives, right? Unwise people uh, just live moment by moment. 
They're like a leaf being blown about in the wind. They're just going somewhere and they've been somewhere, but they don't know where they've been and they don't know what they're going. They don't give thought to the past, to the present, to the future. They don't put their God-given faculties to use to consider what God might be doing in their lives or what He has already done in their lives and to weigh options and to discern the difference between what's good and what's better and what's best. They just exist. They're just there. They're just being blown about in the wind. And I think that Paul and the whole Bible, for that matter, is urging us not to live a life like that. Do not live like that, but give thought to your ways. Don't just be a leaf being blown about in the wind out there, but be a thoughtful person and be stable in Christ. Number two, when things do go wrong, the unwise don't ponder the situation and learn from their mistakes. I love to ride my bicycle. And I love to read about bicycling. And a few years ago, I read an article in Bicycling Magazine, and the basic gist of the article was this. The author said, you're going to fall on your bike at some point. If you like riding, and if you ride enough, you are going to fall, but don't waste your fall, was his words. And what he meant by that was, once you fall, stop and think about what happened. Consider what made you fall, and don't do that again. If you fall in another way, God bless you. But don't fall in the same way over and over and over again. And in fact, you can even give thought to the falls of other people. Think about what made them fall and then learn the lesson and don't fall again. And that's just great advice. It's really good advice. But the unwise person doesn't do this, do they? The unwise person doesn't make the most of his or her falls. They keep falling in the same way over and over and over again because they don't take the time to think about what happened. They're just in the hole, and all they know is, I want out of this hole. And when they get out of the hole, they don't give enough thought to their lives, so they end up right back in the same hole. If you end up in a different hole, well, that's another matter. But we shouldn't be ending up in the same hole again and again and again and again. Over the years, I've been really into biking for about a decade now, and I've fallen three times. And the one praise I give to God is that I've fallen in three different ways. Because I took this guy's advice and every time I fell, I thought about it. And I didn't do those things again. And I'm certainly no paragon of wisdom, that's for sure. But that's what the wise do. The wise give thought to their ways. They consider their mistakes, their failures, their fallings, and they make the most of them. I think it was C.S. Lewis said, who said that if you're going to fall, fall toward God. Fall toward God. And I think what he meant is, when you fall, stop to think about it and learn from your mistakes and become more and more of a believer rather than more and more of an unbeliever. And so the unwise don't do that, but that is what the Bible is calling us to do. When you fall, stop to think about it. Ponder your ways and don't fall in the same way again and again and again and again. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Number three, and by far the most important, even when the unwise do give thought to their ways, they leave out the most important factor in life, and that is God. They may seem to be a person that is one who considers their ways, but the truth is when you leave God out of the equation, the Bible says you're a fool. And so the unwise do that. To make this point, let me just read for you about four or five texts here, and I'll make a couple comments along the way, but mainly I'm just trying to let the Bible speak for itself. We'll start at Psalm 25, 4-5. Make me to know Your ways, O Lord. Teach me Your paths. Lead me in Your truth and teach me, for You are the God of my salvation, and for You I wait all the day long. 
So the main thing that the wise are after when they're considering their ways, the main thing they're after is this question. What are your ways, O God? And mainly, and secondly then, what they're trying to discern is, God, how do I forsake my ways and walk in your ways? For the wise person, when they are considering their life, God is the dominant thing in their minds. They just want to know, Lord, what would you like me to do? And then how shall I do it? Psalm 119, verses 1 through 7. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Amen. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So the unwise unwittingly reject their highest joy, their highest satisfaction in life when they reject the ways of God. But the wise know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is also the beginning of joy. And so again I say, the main thing they're pursuing when they consider their ways is to know the ways of God and to have the power to walk in those ways. Because even in suffering, that's where all the joy is. Psalm 119.15 I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I love that verse. I will fix my eyes on your ways. As I said earlier, the unwise may have the appearance of pondering their ways, and they may even give a little bit of lip service to the ways of God. But the wise fix their eyes on these ways. They will not let their minds turn to the right or the left, but they continue to ponder the Lord and His ways and how they might walk in them. Psalm 119.59 When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I love that one too. When I think about my ways, I turn myself to your ways, is what he's saying. And again, the unwise, they may give some superficial look as though they're considering the ways of God, but the truth is they never turn their feet towards His ways. They never obey Him. And therefore, they reject the ways of the Lord, and they reject the Lord Himself. And Paul and the whole Bible would say, friends, don't do that. Don't do that. Consider the ways of the Lord and turn your feet toward them. Walk in them. All of your joy, all of your blessing is right there even if in suffering. Finally, Proverbs 3, verses 5-7. through 7. These are very familiar verses, but right to the point. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The wise seek the ways of the Lord and they fear the Lord and they know that their highest joy, their highest strength, the straightness of their paths is found in acknowledging, in exalting, and in walking in the ways of the Lord. The unwise simply reject all of this. And so Paul, when he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, one of the main things he's saying to us is consider the ways of the Lord and walk in His ways, not in your ways. I'm just remembering right now, years ago, I was on a, on a personal retreat. I take one of those every year and consider my ways before the Lord. And I was reading something about Augustine. 
who lived in the 5th and 6th centuries A.D. And uh, the Lord was teaching something to Augustine, and he wrote about it in this writing, and I swear to you, it was verbatim what the Lord had been teaching me over the previous two weeks. I mean, just verbatim. And it just hit me so deeply that God really knows what He's doing. And He's been doing this a long time. He's been leading people for a long time. And He really knows what He's doing. And if I will consider His ways and walk in them, my life will go in the way that it should go. Because He knows what He's talking about. Amen? When it says that the Lord is wise, the Bible means that. He's wise. And the wise person says, you know what, God? You're wiser than me. I think I'm going to go with your advice rather than mine. So, if we're to look carefully how we walk, friends, we have to consider our ways. And we have to make God the heartbeat of those ways. And if you think about this, what this really reduces to is we have to somehow make time in our lives to think about these things in the presence of God. I think one reason why people are unwise is not because they have set out to be unwise, but they just don't take the time to consider these things before the Lord, and then they unwittingly become unwise. There, there is no other choice for us if we reject the things of God, either purposely or not purposely, but to become a fool. That's what the Bible says. And so we simply have to make time. It really comes down to that. It's a schedule issue. Or as my friends in England like to say, it's a schedule issue, right? Here's how this shakes out in my life. Every day of my life, just about, with very few exceptions, I spend alone time with Jesus Christ. And I have there my Bible, my journal, and a book that I'm reading. And I don't always do all of those things, but most often that I do. Most often I do. But the main thing I'm trying to do in that time with the Lord is to commune with Jesus. And if I don't get to all the stuff that I wanted to do that morning, that's fine. Mainly what I'm trying to do is not check off a list of stuff I'm supposed to do, but I'm trying to connect heart to heart with Christ. And part of doing that is thinking about my ways before the Lord. Thinking about my fears, my hopes, my joys, my sorrows, my triumphs, my failures, my decisions, all of these things. Now, of course, a person can't think about all of those things every single day. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you will put yourself in the atmosphere where it's you and Jesus alone, then He will bring to the forefront the things that you must deal with that day. He's such a gracious God. He never lays it all on you at once, does He? He gives it to you a bit at a time, a piece at a time as you can handle it. And morning by morning, the Lord is always faithful to me to raise up something that I need to think about. And so if you want to consider your ways and be a wise person, and I hope that would be said of every person at Glory of Christ, that we're wise not because of ourselves, but because we look to the Lord, then friends, you simply are just going to have to make time. That's all there is to it. Once a week... I also try to spend a little bit of extra time, usually on Sunday afternoons, thinking about the previous week and the upcoming week. And as I already mentioned, once a year I go away and spend about three or five days considering my ways before the Lord. But honestly, neither of these other things even come close to the power or the effectivity of just simply being with Jesus every day of my life. There are times when I am with Him and it seems like nothing has happened, but just because I'm there every day, eventually the Lord will do something in my life and He'll do something in yours as well. You certainly don't have to do things the way that I do them. I just wanted to give you an example. But I do hope that what I've said will encourage you to think about making time in your life to be with the Lord because you just need to answer this question. How else will you be wise? 
How else will you look carefully how you walk unless you spend time with the Lord thinking about these things? There is no other way. To be Christian is to be thoughtful. And so you must make time for that. Now for Paul's second bit of advice to us in verse 16. If we're to walk as children of light, he says, we must make the best use of the time because the days are evil. The word making here in verse 16 literally means to buy back or to redeem. Which is why some of you, especially if you have a New King James Version, they translate this verse, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And the reason is because that's what the Lord, the word literally means. It's certainly not out of bounds to think that what Paul means by redeem the time is to make the best of every single moment of every day. And so I don't begrudge ESV or the NASB or whomever else translating it that way. I don't think it's a bad translation. But I do think the more literal rendering gets to something as Paul is trying to get to. As I have meditated on this over the last few days, Joel 2.25 is a verse that kept coming back to me. That will be up here on the PowerPoint for you. God just said, I, God, will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And the point of this verse is that although God had allowed His people to undergo what was really a very devastating judgment for the nation of Israel, that now, by His mercy and grace, He would restore to them tenfold what He had taken from them through judgment. And the main thing that was being restored was time. It was time. The text says, I will restore to you not the crops that the locusts have eaten, but the time, the years that the locusts have eaten. And so I think what he's saying to them is, I will redeem the time for you. I will buy back time for you and make what you have left worth living. And so when I come back to Ephesians 5.16 with that in my mind, I can't help but hear the commandment going something like this. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that bought you back, Now you buy back all the remaining time that He has given to you. Cooperate with Christ in the reclamation project He has going on in your life and redeem every single second that He gives you to live. And as you do, do that with a sense of urgency and with a sense of gravity because the days are evil. They are exceedingly evil. So don't be flippant with your time. It's the most valuable thing God has given to you besides a relationship with Him. Don't be wasteful with your time, but instead work with Him to redeem every single second that you can for the glory of His name and the good of others and the joy of your own soul in that order. So again, I don't think the phrase making the best use of the time is a bad translation, but I do think that redeeming the time is a better translation because it gets at this idea that Christ is trying to buy back or redeem everything in your lives now that you have come to be in Him. So I do think Paul had that in mind. Now with that, let me take a few moments and talk about how we might go about redeeming our time in Christ, and with this, we'll be done for the morning. I only have one thing that I'm going to share with you today, and I would love to hear as you meditate on this, as you ask your Father, Father, how can I redeem my time? I would love to hear from you what your answer to that question is. Here is just one answer. One way to go about redeeming your time is to spend sufficient time in prayer and the Word so that you are awake to the things of God and so that you come to see the world as God sees it. In Colossians 4.2, the Bible says, devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. That, that phrase, keeping alert, literally means staying awake. 
And I wish they would translate it literally because I think Paul meant it literally. I think what he meant to say is, Beloved, if you pray, you will be awake to the things of God. When you cease to pray, you fall asleep to the things of God. And there you are in the garden with Him, but you're asleep to the eternally significant things that are going on around you. And so what I'm saying is if you will, in prayer and in the Word, learn to be awake to the things of God, to see the world the way God sees it, you can begin to ask Him this question. Father, where do I fit? What is the part that You have for me to play in Your grand eternal purposes that You are working out in the world? And if you will pray that prayer with sincerity, then I promise you, in God's time and in His way, He will give you a passion for something that will grip your soul and that will cause you to want to make the most of every single day. That will cause you to wake up in the morning with a sense of urgency and to put aside playful youthfulness because you'll need to make the most of your time. That passion may be for evangelism. Maybe God would just grip your soul even this morning with the fact that people out there right now, without Christ, if they die today, they're going to hell. And hell is forever. And maybe God would give you such a passion for that that when you wake up in the morning, you just can't be flippant with your time because you need to share the Gospel with somebody. Or maybe God would grip your heart with a passion for missions. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, there are five or 6,000 people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine this? In 2,000 years of the church existing, there are still people groups who have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And maybe God would so grip your heart with that that you couldn't help but wake up and say, I must do something today. Something. I don't know what, but something. Or maybe God would grip your heart with a passion for truth and for the Bible and for theology and for teaching people how to think well. Or in our day, even to be convinced that there's such a thing as truth. And maybe that would just consume you and you would get up in the morning and put your hand to that plow. Maybe it would be for social justice issues like poverty or racism or abortion and you just couldn't live another day without thinking as a Christian of doing something about the situation. Maybe your passion would be for raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, training them up in the way that they should go. And as Kevin so eloquently said, fulfilling your God-given role in the lives of human beings. Maybe that would be your consuming passion. Your passion could be a thousand different things. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Please, take the time before the Lord and pray and ask Him for a passion. Friends, the seriousness of the things that are going on around us right now are just too grave for us to sit back and wait any longer. How can you wait? We are like vapors. We are like vapors. Any one of us this day could die. We're like a blade of grass. It grows up today, gone tomorrow. It's going to be that quick. Seems like yesterday I was 16 years old. And here I am, 41. To some of you, a very young pup. But I can't believe, where did all the time go? And when I'm 80, it's going to feel just like that. Where did the time go? I don't want to have wasted my life. And I don't want that for you either. So one way that you can keep from wasting your life is to say, Father, I see more now. I see more of what you're doing. Please give me a passion that will consume my soul. Give me a passion that would cause me to lose sleep from time to time. And that would give me a sense of urgency in my waking and in my living and even in my sleeping. When you get a passion like that, it does not guarantee that you'll make the best use of your time because the truth is, we're all sinful. 
And there's something in us all that is undermining everything that God is trying to do in our lives. And you will fail and fail and fail and fail. But I promise you something. If you will get a God-given passion like that, it will help you so much to make the best use of your time because you just won't be able to stand the thought of wasting time on stupid things when there's such enormously important things before you. So please do that. For me, the passion that I have is understanding and obeying and preaching and teaching the Word of God. It is no exaggeration to say that I am consumed with a passion for the Word of God. And this doesn't have to do with the fact that I'm a preacher, therefore I have to love the Bible. I'm a preacher because I love the Bible. And when I was painting houses, I had just as much passion for the Word of God. It consumes me. I can't tell you, friends, how many days I was up on ladders, painting houses, begging God, please just let me go somewhere and teach the Bible. I just want to teach the Bible. There's a couple reasons for this. On the positive side, I just love it. Don't you love the Word of God? It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths, and I love it. I love to meditate on it and obey it and teach it to others. And on the negative side, I am deeply concerned about biblical illiteracy among the church today. Not among non-saved Americans, I mean people who are Christians. And their pastors are getting away with saying all kinds of things from the pulpit because they don't know the Bible. And I'm really, really deeply concerned about this. And I'm concerned with the effects that those illiteracy, that this illiteracy is having on all kinds of issues like church life and evangelism, discipleship, church planting, the raising up of pastors, missions, higher education, Christian literature, all kinds of issues. I'm aghast at what I see seasoned leaders saying sometimes because they're so ignorant of the Bible. And I don't say that with pride. I say that with brokenness and sorrow in my heart. It breaks my heart that the studies show that only 7 or 8% of the millions of Christians in this country even know anything about the Bible. It breaks my heart and I'm telling you, I'm consumed with passion to teach it and teach it and teach it and teach it so that people love it. So that they'll love the God behind the Bible. This is my calling. And woe to me if I do not walk in it. What about you? What is the thing or the things that consume your heart? That grip you with passion? It was said of Jesus that zeal for His Father's house consumed Him. And we were meant to be like that too. Christianity is not a hobby. It's not something you do on weekends. Have any of you seen that movie, Expelled? Raise your hand if you've seen the movie. If you haven't, please go see this movie. It is really good. There's this one atheist on there who says, what I'm trying to do is get science to take over religion so that at some point religion can take its proper place. That is, a side dish rather than the main deal, the main meal. I don't mind if people have a little bit of it in their lives, but it shouldn't have anything to do with most of their lives, he said. They should just do it on the weekends and then you know, go to their real life after they're done with their little religious thing. What a fool! What a fool! God created you, and therefore He ought to be the thing that consumes you in everything. Amen? Whether it's work, play, money, family, church, whatever, He ought to be the main thing. And if you could find a passion in your life, oh friend, it would just absolutely consume you. And I wonder what that is for you. And I hope that you will seek your Father and just say, God, whether it comes in a flood or in a trickle, one way or the other, God, would you give me a passion? Would you show me how you see the world and show me where I fit 
and then help me to make the best of every single second of every single day. What does it mean to walk as children of light? First of all, it means that we have to live thoughtful lives. We have to be a people who consider our ways. And then as we consider our ways, number two, it means that we make the most of every single moment. We redeem the time. We don't give ourselves to stupid, trifling things that are fading away. But we give ourselves to eternal things that are eternally significant and that God will bear eternal fruit through. Next week, I hope, Lord willing, to see that it also means understanding the will of the Lord and walking in the ways of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's pray. Father, I've got two images pressing on my mind right now. One is of us as your disciples in the garden. We're there with you. We're not with someone else. Where else shall we go? You have the words of life, but we're sleeping. We're dead to the things that are important to you and that are consuming you. That's one vision. And then the other vision I have is of you in Revelation chapter 1, standing firm and tall with eyes that blaze like fire and with a heart to minister to your children and to speak to them, rise up, rise up and walk. And how I pray that you would do that. Lord, in the words that you said to the churches in Revelation, you had hard things to say. But you said, I only rebuke and discipline those I love. And so we invite you, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, even right now, commanding the nations and upholding the whole universe, we invite you to speak into our lives and cause us to wake up, Lord. Cause us to see things as you see them. And then cause us to give ourselves to those things as you would have us give ourselves to those things. Help us, Lord, no longer to cooperate with the devil and with the world and with the flesh, but help us to redeem the time for the glory of your name and for the good of other people and the joy of our souls in you. We pray all this, Father, in your mighty and matchless and merciful name. Amen.